our view of it is that the AI is a means to an end, not the end in itself. The end is what is the value we're trying to deliver to the hospital and how can AI plus other approaches help us deliver that value? Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Welcome back to the show. Imagine a world where ICU teams can predict life-threatening events hours before they happen. Today, we welcome Clue to the pod, who offers a clinical command center that applies AI to enable earlier interventions, improving patient and business outcomes for hospitals. We'll learn about their regulatory strategy, how they integrate into clinician workflows, and best practices for founders when it comes to attracting and developing great people. Let's get into it. All right, Paul Rusko, the CEO of Clue Medical. Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. I'm really excited for you to be here today. Thank you, Alex. Good to be here. All right, Paul. So where are you joining us from? I am in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. And your accent betrays you. Where are you from originally and when did you move to Boston? Yes. Obviously, I need to get some more elocution lessons done, but I am originally from Manchester, England, and I have been over here in the US for about 22 years now. Oh, great. You and I changed places. I used to live in the US and I moved to London in 2015, but we are not here today to talk about what side of the pond we're on. We're here to talk about Clue Medical. Uh, Maybe we can start off and you can tell me more about Clue Medical and what exactly you do. So what problem do you solve? Yeah, the problem we solve is one that's faced by hospitals across the world, not just a U.S. problem. And that is that there are patients inside hospitals, in beds, that are high-risk patients or becoming high-risk, what's called emerging risk or rising risk patient, that if we can provide a way of identifying those patients before they actually deteriorate, before they create the risk, and getting that notification to a clinician so that they can drive an earlier intervention. Good things will happen all around. Better patient outcomes uh, for the patient and for the caregiver, and also a good business decision for the hospital in terms of being able to reduce costs, improve throughput, and allow their fundamental mission, which is to deliver better patient care. So Clue has provided a what we call an intelligent clinical surveillance platform. Think of it almost as a sort of clinical command center. We look across the hospital, we capture rich physiological data about a patient, and we identify which patients should be prioritized for an intervention. Um, We can do that in a a few different ways, but fundamentally by driving an earlier intervention, uh, we provide better patient outcomes and better business outcomes for the hospital. Can you tell me a little bit about the types of data that you consume in order to make those predictions? Yes. A part of our prowess is the ability to bring in data from a variety of different sources. Our goal at the end of the day is to build this, what we call a rich physiological profile on the patient. And we use the electronic medical record that provides us access to ADT and labs and vitals and medications data. We interface to the Uh, monitoring equipment at the bedside uh, that provides us with access to a very high frequency of data. So it's not uncommon for us to be capturing data on a patient every 30 seconds, every minute. And then we scrub that data, clean it, tag it, and use that data to identify which patients we think require 
prioritization and which patients require an intervention. And one of the things that's somewhat unique to Clue is that we have received an, an FDA clearance. We're classed as a medical device for uh, some of the predictions that we're able to provide to a caregiver. So we have what we call high-risk predictions where our AI-based machine learning and data science prowess allows us to build these models that will predict a patient's likely to deteriorate at some point in the next six to eight hours, far in advance, perhaps, of what their clinical data might be suggesting at that point in time. Uh, we can identify that Paul Roscoe is going to have a respiratory failure in four hours and surface that to the caregiver for them to, to drive a different type of intervention than they might have done otherwise. So I want to come back to that. It'd be, it'd be great to learn a little bit about the evidence generation journey, what that FDA submission process was like. But before we go there, I want to learn a little bit more about you, Paul. So you've had a very rich career journey from being the general manager of Microsoft's healthcare solutions group. You've held executive positions at Trinda Health, Docent Health, Crimson, and others. Can you speak to Clue's founding principles and I'd like to learn what drew you to this business. What drew you to join the team as CEO? I've been in healthcare my whole life. Uh, I started actually as a, an accountant in the British National Health Service in the way back. Uh, my mother is a nurse or was a nurse. My sister was a nursing executive. So healthcare has always been uh, part of my life. And in the early days, I realized that I wanted to be with companies that had a very direct association with driving a better outcome for a patient. We've all been with companies, I'm sure, where it's a little abstract. It's difficult to understand what you're doing day to day or what you're doing to lead a company in terms of what impact it's having. So I've always tried to position myself with companies that was very direct in terms of the positive benefits that technology can bring to a, a patient. Because at the end of the day, they're at the most vulnerable periods of time, and that's when they need the most support. And, and, and really that's what led me to Clue is that, that connection. At the end of the day, if, if Clue solutions are operating effectively, patients are going to have a different outcome. Their future outcome is going to be positively impacted by Clue identifying that they potentially are at risk for an infection uh, and driving a better intervention. And that's really palpable. And I think that's the the, the sort of energy that you see inside of Clue, it's the mission that has attracted a lot of great talent to the company, has been this direct association between providing assistance to the caregiver. Again, I stress this all the time, we're not there from an AI perspective or from a technology to replace a clinician. They're, we're there to try and help and augment, then provide a better environment and a better outcome for the patient. And, and that's very direct with Clue. Hmm. Let's go back to the FDA submission, and I, I wanted to speak with you about Clue's regulatory strategy. This is a very challenging uh, problem for any entrepreneur to solve on their journey. And can you tell me a little bit about the evidence generation journey that Clue underwent and how the regulatory submissions worked, how you worked with the agency, and just with an eye for giving advice to other founders that are looking to deploy AI into clinical work? I, I think you're absolutely right that it is a challenging journey. And, and part of the journey, part of the challenge is to decide to embark on the regulatory journey in the first place. And you've seen, I think particularly in the US, many claims that are being made by clinical AI companies that are 
frankly, just that, the, the vendor's own claims. And we've seen many examples of when they've made those claims around clinical predictions not being fulfilled. So for us, we always felt that for us to be successful, the regulatory oversight wasn't a hurdle. It was just going to be something that was really important for us to be able to establish the credibility of our approach. And doing that in front of the FDA is important. And that then helps build confidence and trust, we believe, by our customers. And so to, to embark on that particular journey required us initially to partner with healthcare organizations that were able to provide us with rich data sets for which we could build and train these models that we built to identify what were the predictions, what were the clinical targets that we thought were the most impactful and powerful and the ones that the data would allow us to predict. And for us, we, we chose three predictive models that we wanted to go through a, a regulatory approach, two high-risk models. Uh, one of them is a predicting hemodynamic instability. Another one is predicting a patient having a respiratory failure event that might require them to be put on a ventilator. And probably actually is as important is a low-risk model, which are these patients are stable and actually will be stable over the next eight to 12 hours. So you don't risk necessarily need to prioritize them from a care perspective. And our process was then to identify sites inside the U.S. where we could get access to large amounts of data to train the models. And we were able to work with some great healthcare institutions in the U.S. that would give us access to that data. And then through a set of iteration, we would take data from one particular population area in the U.S. and then take it into another area that might have a different demographic, test it and tune it for that particular population. We did this pre-COVID, uh, and then we went back with the models that we were building post-COVID to make sure that if there were any differences physiologically in the COVID, post-COVID population, we were accommodating them in our models, and, and we found that there was definitely customizations we had to make. We would look at the data to see if there were any biases that were being built and try and adjust appropriately. And that process was done in conjunction with the conversations we were having with the FDA and the process we were going through the FDA. And I think fast forward now with the FDA clearance that we've received, we built a lot of prowess about how to work through a FDA pipeline. And we're actually submitting some new models now for the FDA to start to give us their opinion on. So how do you think about new customer acquisition and prioritizing your targets? The, the easy answer is every startup wants to work with every potential customer, but then you get into it and this is pretty hands-on. You're deploying into the ICU. So, you know, there's probably some customers that perhaps they're less appealing from a top-line revenue perspective, but they're going to work with you more on providing the data you need to support this pipeline, a future submissions to the FDA, which ostensibly increases your portfolio of adverse events that you can predict, which strengthens the value proposition of the overall offering. So how do you balance those two things? Because you, you need to keep the lights on. You, you last raised institutional funding in uh, 2020, I believe. Mm -hmm. you, you, can correct, you can correct me there. So how do you think about that? One of the first things that I did when I joined Clue uh, about a year ago was look at the sort of core DNA of what the company has been able to achieve in the tele-ICU space. And it was a quick realization to me that what we actually have built here has broad applicability, not just in the tele-ICU world, 
but across the, the whole enterprise of the hospital. These high-risk and emerging risk patients don't just exist inside the ICU. They exist in ED. They exist in the PACU after they've come out of a OR. They exist down on the med surge floors. And so we embarked on a product strategy to extend and expand our platform to have broad surveillance capability, not just for the ICU population. And that was important actually also for the health system because you think about it, the ICU represents you know, 10, 15% of the patient population. And there are you know, patients outside the ICU in these other care venues that require uh, more optimized interventions. And so it, it fit well. It wasn't just a, we'd like to do this uh, outside the ICU. It was a problem that we were hearing from our prospective customers. And so fast forward today, we've got this broader platform that is applicable to pretty much any patient inside the hospital. And over time, now, this is a, a future, but over time for patients that are at home, hospitals are embarking on hospital at home strategies, and that will require a sophisticated technology surveillance approach to monitor those patients when they're not in the hospital setting. With that backdrop, that allows us to then say, who's a good fit for Clue? And we approach the market in two different ways. One is uh, a direct sales approach where we are working with the larger health systems that might be integrated delivery networks with multiple hospitals or academic medical institutions. And we, the more patients you basically throw at Clue, the better value and ROI you get. And then we have, you might think of it as a channel. So these are technology, these are physician or clinic, clinician service companies that are providing outsourced clinical services to a hospital. And they employ physicians, they employ nurses and contract with hospitals to provide outsourced tele-ICU or outsourced virtual nursing. And those companies typically have used the hospital's technology stack when they go about their job and they realize that didn't scale very well. So they'd come to Clue and they bring the Clue technology along with their people and they offer it as a sort of package solution. A good example of that is a relationship we have with a company called Ecum Medical, who have a large bank of clinicians, physicians, nurses, and they work in conjunction with Clue to deliver a complete managed clinical service. Mm. Paul, so that's a great customer story. Let's bring Clue Medical's solution to life by digging into a few others. Can you share some other customer stories of how the technology has been deployed and especially the impact that it's had? Yeah, there's a few different ways you can get value from Clue. You can look at it by service line, if you like. So you might, one of our customers, Penn State Health in Western Pennsylvania has deployed Clue in the tele-ICU uh, service line where Clue's technology is managing across multiple hospitals, providing a centralized approach to managing these high acuity ICU patients identifying patients that might need an earlier intervention and using it as the sort of clinical decision support for the ICU. Or you might choose a different approach that other customers focused on where you're looking at, I'd like to identify across my hospital, all my potential sepsis patients, all the patients that may have a hospital acquired condition like suspected line infection or pressure ulcers. And so they 
don't look at it necessarily by a service line, uh, but they look at it holistically by clinical condition. And both of those approaches work really well. The ability that they show, they share the common DNA, which is Clue's ability to build this rich physiological profile on a patient in real time and identify which patients require an intervention or potentially require an intervention earlier than the traditional way of just rounding on patients bed to bed. And these models are being deployed in a virtualized sort of clinical command center, whether you're managing a, an individual department like an ICU or whether you're ma managing this by clinical condition across the hospital. What advice would you offer to other entrepreneurs that are looking to sell AI-enabled solutions directly into a large provider organization like you're doing? And in terms of the pricing, in terms of the, the pilot and, and the sell-through and the integration, well, what have you learned? I think the learnings are, there, there's quite a few, I think. Part of it fundamentally is about what value are you delivering to the health system? The AI... We all get excited about it, but there's also, I think, increasingly an amount of fatigue that comes with that because everything now feels like it's AI driven. And the reality is, our view of it is that the AI is a means to an end, not the end in itself. The end is what is the value we're trying to deliver to the hospital and how can AI plus other approaches help us deliver that value for us? It's about trying to identify how we can help the caregiver and not replace them, how we can provide them with more computing capability to allow them to do their jobs more effectively. The feedback we hear every day from clinicians is that the IT systems are in the way of their care delivery process. And we're very focused on trying to remove a lot of that noise and just very focus them on the signal and help them be what they were ultimately why they became clinicians, which was still the better patient care. So I think let's not focus on the technology. Uh, obviously you have to be able to prove it. You have to be able to show that your capabilities fit the purpose, but I would encourage any organization to translate that very quickly into what's the value. Health systems around the world, particularly in the U S are really challenged at the moment financially for many reasons. And so their list of priorities is, is, is actually lessening. And for you to get to the top of that list, it's really important for you to be able to translate your capabilities into value statements that resonate and are important for the hospital. And I think the other element of this is find a business model that is sustainable, whether that's through a channel approach, whether that's direct, I think channel or some mixture as Clue does, because I think for us, we found that having direct hospital relationships gives us an amazing sort of feedback directly with the customer from a product innovation and iteration perspective, while the channel also gives us access to markets and distribution that would be very difficult for a, a smaller company to achieve. And the combination of both is really, in our particular business model, very powerful. Workflow is so important in healthcare. And you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about how the IT systems frequently can get in the way of clinicians and the goal is to make them you know, more seamless. Can you break down how Clue Medical gets deployed uh, into an ICU or another care venue, uh, as you mentioned, and specifically how you integrate into the existing workflows? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a, a very fundamental question because health systems at the end of the day have already invested 
you know, millions, billions in some cases into their electronic medical record infrastructure and don't wish to, you know, throw that out the door. So our approach is to coexist with those solutions and say to the health system, your electronic medical record is fit for purpose. It was why you designed it for clinical documentation. It's the system of record. It helps you drive your revenue cycle. But when we think about this advanced form of clinical surveillance, it isn't necessarily the, the right choice for you. There are alternatives such as Clue that will coexist with your EMR. Um, so for us, it's about data integration. So if there's data inside the EMR that is useful or ne necessary for our solution or for our predictions, we will interface to those systems. But it's also more than just data integration. It's also what we call workflow integration. So if I am a clinician and I'm inside the Clue environment and I'm looking at uh, a particular patient and maybe the Clue AI predictive model is predicting this patient um, is going to have a deterioration event and I need to order a lab or, or order medication as a result of that prediction, then obviously I'm going to do that inside my EMR. That's where my uh, infrastructure is. So within Clue, you can click on a single icon inside the user interface and we will automatically sign that user in to their EMR. We will navigate through the menu structure. We will pull up the right patient because we know the patient they've just been looking at in Clue and we will get them to a point in the EMR where they can do their job and get them back into Clue very quickly. And so, you know, our focus is not only data integration, but how do we get the clinical workflow such that instead of having to deal with a bunch of keystrokes and remembering this particular credential, we can remove a lot of that and just allow them to smoothly move between Clue and the other systems that they need to do their jobs. Hmm. What are the big buckets that people should focus on to deliver the most value? Specifically, what are the biggest cost centers of your customers? You know, what are the rocks that have the most impact? You could also think about it in terms of things you could do to drive more top-line revenue, but yeah, I think it's easier to approach from a cost perspective. What do you think? Yeah, I, mean, I think you have to do both. I, I think in today's world, you have, for, for us, you have to do uh, three things. You have to do all three well. You have to drive a material impact from a patient outcome, whether that's reducing length of stay, whether that's reducing mortality, whether that's reducing complications, you have to, the sort of table stakes is that you have to be able to improve clinical outcomes, but that's not enough. You also have to reduce cost. And ideally you're also providing opportunities to improve revenue or increase revenue. For example, if we were able to identify patients that are, have a hospital acquired condition, they have a, a line infection or suspected line infection, they have a pressure ulcer, they have a fall or potentially going to have a fall and get ahead of that, then that materially reduces the cost of delivering care for that patient because that patient isn't staying in hospital for another two or three days to recover from that line infection. And then equally so, if you're able to move patients through the hospital more effectively and more safely, that you have an ability to improve throughput. So if patients are waiting in ED for a bed, or if patients are waiting in the floor for an ICU bed, but your ICU is at full capacity, if you can improve the throughput of your organization by, again, focusing on these sort of individual patients and making sure that they are having the right intervention or being optimized from a care delivery point of view, 
then you have a great opportunity to improve revenue for the organization. And I don't think in today's climate, you can trade one up against the other. I think all three, if you have them, is a very powerful value proposition for the hospital. Paul, you've been involved in health IT and health innovation for over 20 years. Uh, Can you speak to the role that cloud has in enabling health innovation today? Why is now the moment for a solution like Clue Medical and and what does the cloud provide you? I, I think the cloud environments now have got to a point where they are secure, they are uh, economically viable. They are able to scale in ways that they perhaps weren't in five, six, seven years ago. Uh, they're private. And it allows you to deploy you know, a fraction of the time that it has in the past. We all have this trite term about time to value. It really is important. The health system, if they're making a decision to deploy Clue, want to get it into their productive environments, into the hands of caregivers as soon as possible. And the cloud environments allow us to to do that. They allow us to deploy quickly in a secure private environment so that there, there's no concerns about privacy issues with very sensitive information that we obviously have in Clue on the patient. They do it in a very economic way. And they also reduce the amount of IT support that is required for the customer site. Our ability for us to quickly update the system provide new functionality, new capabilities is, you know, Eclipse is what could be done when you were doing on-premise installations. So I think health systems around the world, those in the U.S. have, have embraced cloud in a healthcare, in a secure healthcare environment. And over time, you're seeing the unit economics starts come down, and that's only good for the customer if we pass that on to them. Mm. Uh, have you faced any resistance or skepticism from medical professionals regarding the adoption of AI in critical care. What are some common hurdles that come up in your early stage customer conversations and how do you overcome them? Well, clinicians are very, by that, by definition, they're very data-driven. They're being trained uh, to be, and obviously when they, you look at a new technology like AI and its application in the clinical area, they want to understand it. They want to understand behind the covers, uh, how are these predictions being made. And so there's not skepticism necessarily by default. It's just an interest to understand clinically, how is this technology going to help me deliver care in a better way than I would do versus a traditional data-driven approach or singular data-driven approach. And what we found is that by being able to review individual clinical cases with them and retrospectively look at the data and prospectively look at the data, and get them confidence that the predictions uh, are actually going to help them and not hinder them, then that's one of the challenges created. The other is working really closely with them to understand the clinical protocol that should be implemented when you see a prediction. This is different than maybe a clinician who's traditionally used to looking at a monitoring data that is giving you the real-time sort of physiological data on a patient, blood pressure, O2 saturation. Whereas now, in addition to that, solutions like Clue will be predicting a future event, but the data for the patient at that particular moment might look that there's some stable, this patient stable, and yet we are predicting some deterioration of the event. How do you deal with that situation? What's the protocol that the nurses and clinicians work on in a situation like that? What do you do? What, what do you 
existentially order what is the care pathway that you would want to deploy. And so we don't just drop the technology in and say, make the best of it. We'll work with the clinicians to make sure that we are, from a change management perspective, really very focused on how that gets adopted and not just the sort of ease of the prediction itself, but how do you then action that to drive a different outcome for the patient? Um, Paul, we have a lot of founders that listen to the show, and we always try to leave them with useful and actionable advice that they can take away for their organizations. So I want to speak to you a little bit about making sure you've got the right people on the bus. With your experience, I'm sure you have strong views and a, a well-earned set of best practices. So maybe first, if you can just peg Clue Medical stage, just the number of employees and general general traction in your startup journey, that would that'd be helpful so others can align to it. And then if you can share your perspective and best practices for hiring, retaining, and developing great talent, that'd, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're less than 100 people, so we're still in the sort of early stages of our build-out. We have people in Israel, amazing talent, engineers, data scientists, and we have a US-based implementation and go-to-market team, sales and marketing. And then we have a great partners in Europe who are representing Clue. The point you made, I think, is probably the most important in some ways for a leader, which is getting the right talent into the company and into the right places. And a large amount of my energy is spent not only with customers, but making sure that we have the best players uh, in our company. And part of that is being really clear about where we are as a company, what we need, what is the DNA of our company, what is the culture of our company, and aligning that to potential hires. A lot of that is about having very transparent cultures where we are able to share real-time feedback and, and the same from the employee back to the company and being really focused on um, making sure that where there is room for improvement, that we are giving that feedback immediately and that creating the right environment for them to be successful. Also realizing that at times people make mistakes uh, and being quick to react to that and make the necessary adjustments if you feel that that's not the right fit in that, for that particular individual or in that particular role, being very quick in once you've given the appropriate feedback and the appropriate time in, in actioning that. But for us, it's about getting the best talent. And many times we will have a position that we're trying to fill and it's easy after you've met 15, 20 people say, let's just do it. Let's just fill the headcount and fill the rec. And that's never the right answer. And just being very deliberate about who we bring into the organization. And when we do, just creating the right environment for them to be successful. It's the most important thing, I think, in the first months of my tenure at Clue was to really focus on who we've got and what do we need and where are our gaps and try and solve for that. Mm, I think that's right. And especially in a startup where I, you are going to be going to the map with these people. When things get tough, these are the people that are going to make the difference. And the late customer email comes in, and especially in your world, it matters. No one's going anywhere until we get that thing done. So you want to be looking up to and be inspired by the people you work with. At Amazon, in the early days, this hasn't, it, it's changed as we've scaled, of course. And it, we still hold insisting on the highest standards and hiring great people as a very important tenet. But in early interviews, Bezos always asked, he's like, is this person world-class in some? And they didn't have to be world-class 
what they were being hired for, but they need to be world-class in something. I mean, it, right. there was somebody who was like a, a spelling bee champion or something like that, because you want to be inspired by the people you work with. Uh, it's very important. Yeah, I think in an early stage business, you that get it, just get it done up attitude is essential. Just hands on, you know, getting your, your getting into an issue and really just sticking with it until it gets resolved. The other, I think, attribute that is important is being comfortable operating the gray. And larger companies have maybe hammered that out of their organizations. It's very black and white. They've had to do that perhaps to scale. But for early stage businesses, there's a lot of gray. Everything isn't, is, is not that precise. And having all people that are comfortable operating in that way and knowing that, great, we strive for perfection, but we also need urgency. We need speed. We need energy. And realizing that sometimes you'll make a mistake and it's okay to make it once. It's okay to make a mistake and let's learn from it and iterate from that and be comfortable in that environment. We've had many, I would say many, my, my career, there's people that have come from big companies that have been very successful in startup because they have that DNA. And there's been some fails there as well, where people have come from larger organizations and said, oh, I, I need to scratch the itch of the startup. And that's all well and good saying that, but they haven't had the skills and, and experience to be able to operate in the environments that we operate on, which are very different. Paul, what is your ambition for the next few years? What goals do you have for your team? It's real simple. We're, we're very focused on trying to deploy the clue to serve as many patients as possible. And that might feel a little trite in some ways, but growth will come from that. If we're doing a great job managing larger and larger populations of patients, not just in the ICU, but across the hospital and over time at home, then we'll have a great thriving business that will come from that. But our you know, laser focus is what can we do to help a patient at the moment they need it most? What can we do to help a health system be more effective in delivering care to their patients from a financial point of view? If we can balance those two and do that at scale, I'd like to do that in the US, in Europe, in Asia. There, there are no limits really in many ways for Clue. We're not solely tied to a reimbursement model so we can only operate within the US. We have a global demand for what we do. And I'd love to be doing that for patients across the world. So Paul, we're reaching the end of our time. And so when we wrap up today and you finish up your day of work and you go tuck into a lobster roll or whatever you're going to eat for dinner tonight, and you think back on our conversation, what question are you going to wish that I had asked you? Is is Manchester United going to win the uh, Premier League this year? Are they? No. <laughs> I don't think they will. No, in, in all seriousness, I, I think you've asked the right questions for the types of innovation podcasts that I think that you're putting out. I think we, we focused on a lot of good topics here, and hopefully this has been helpful for your listeners. Yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, and uh, let's see each other in real life soon. That'd be great. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.